Leading into this morning's story, Jesus has been healing people and traveling around performing miracles. Just in a short while before Jesus, before our story, Jesus healed a blind man, and then he brought his friend Lazarus back to life. All of these miraculous God signs, as Eugene Peterson calls them, have created quite a buzz about who this person Jesus really is. To the point where the high priest spoke up and said, it would be better if one man died for the people rather than our whole nation be destroyed. There was general agreement on this point, and from that time on, they plotted to kill Jesus. So Jesus no longer went out in public among the Jews, and in fact withdrew to a little town a few miles north of Bethany in Jerusalem and secluded himself there with his disciples. This is where our story picks up. Our scripture reading comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. It can be found on page 980 in your pew Bibles. Let us listen now for a word from the Lord. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, the home of Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. There they gave him a dinner. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those at the table with him. Mary took a pound of costly perfume made of pure nard and anointed Jesus' feet and wiped them with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of perfume, but Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, the one who was about to betray him, said, Why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and the money given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. He kept the common purse and used to steal what was put into it. Jesus said, Leave her alone. She bought it so that she might keep it for the day of my burial. You always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. About seven years ago, I was living in Memphis, Tennessee. I was finishing up my undergraduate degree and serving my first church. I loved my job. I worked for about 15 hours a week as a youth advisor and a missions coordinator. Every week I helped coordinate a dinner and a worship service that served the homeless population in Memphis. I felt really fortunate that I was able to hold this job for two years. And over those two years, I made many, many unexpected friends. One of those friends I'd like to tell you about this morning. He was a very petite man and his name was Twin. Twin was as close to a member of the church as you can get without officially joining. He attended our prayer service and meal for the community every week. He often rested in the church garden in the afternoons, and he was always the first at the door welcoming a visitor. It was a hot summer day when he came to the church. I was the only one in the office when they called up my phone and said that Twin was asking to speak with a pastor. I knew I definitely wasn't the one that he was hoping to talk to, but I thought I'd go downstairs and lend an ear. You see, he looked changed that day, exhausted, different from the weeks prior. 
His cheekbones had become more prominent. He looked like he had lost over 20 pounds. His frail body was collapsing with exhaustion into the church pew, and that's when he told me, brain cancer. I just got dismissed from the hospital early this morning. I had a bus halfway and then walked the rest. Over the next week, the mission group at the church put Twin up in a long-term motel that was a couple doors down. They stocked his room with a microwave and a mini-fridge, over $300 of groceries, and made sure that his cell phone had some prepaid minutes. They divided up a schedule for visitations and rides to his doctor's appointments. Unfortunately, Twin's health continued to decline. About a week and a half after his visit to the church, he passed away. For months following his death, I felt horrible, remembering times the church and myself had turned people like Twin away due to lack of resources or lack of time or lack of volunteer support. Times when volunteers and church members questioned if we should really be spending so much of our budget on extended stay motels for our neighbors. A few days before Twin passed, I went to deliver some Campbell's chicken noodle soup. During that visit, he generously gifted me his Bible. He told me he wanted the church to keep it so that, he, that, so that we wouldn't forget about him. He told me that he hoped that it would serve as a reminder for us to continue to pray for him and to keep it in the church library. I promised that we would. Twin's act of unexpected and extravagant generosity made a holy difference for me that day. All that Twin wanted was to be close to the church, not to be alone when death was coming. He wanted prayer and he wanted song, Campbell's chicken noodle soup and orange soda. He wanted to be known and to be remembered. Mary's offering did not make a holy difference to Judas on that day in Lazarus' house. Judas spoke with confidence for all to hear. Why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and the money given to the poor? John then, in the gospel, makes a comment that infers that Judas would have stolen the money had it been given to the poor. But perhaps that's just John's assumption. Maybe we can cut Judas some slack this morning and assume that he had changed his ways and take him at his word. But we understand his concern, right? All that money, a year's worth of wages, had been wasted on some extra smelly perfume, and then not used drop by drop at a time, but poured out completely all at once, in extravagant, and in Judas's opinion, wasteful offering. In Judas's eyes, Mary took the household's entire annual budget and used it all up in one day on a metaphorical shopping spree for Jesus. Judas could not understand it. Why would Mary do such a thing? It's natural for us to deeply desire an explanation for this extravagant gift. In her book, in her book Encounters with Jesus, Biblical scholar Francis Taylor Ginch reminds us that according to John, Jesus had just raised Mary's brother from the dead. One moment, the women were weeping and mourning at his tomb, and the next moment, 
Lazarus and the miracle worker were sitting in their home at their table. So indeed, it might have been that Mary wanted to show her gratitude for this unbelievable and how could you thank enough miracle by offering the one extraordinary item that she had, the anointing perfume. Other scholars make assumptions that the perfume was the same perfume that she had used a few days earlier when anointing her brother's body for burial. Jesus had raised her brother from the dead. Of course she needed to say thank you to her utmost ability. How could she not? I personally can't help but wonder if maybe she knew that time was running out for Jesus. Therefore, when Mary poured out that entire bottle of nard onto Jesus' feet, she was anointing him as Messiah, her Messiah, their Messiah. In that moment, Mary was offering anointing to the Son of God, to God's body, before death. Barbara Brown Taylor, as always, puts it best. Like the bottle of perfume, Jesus' precious life was also not meant to be saved. It was going to be opened, offered, and used at a great price. It was going to be raised up and poured out for all of humankind, emptied to the last drop, until the fragrance of his sacrifice would take the world's breath away. In her book, Taylor suggests to us that Mary's generous gift foreshadows God's own action on the cross and in the tomb. So Mary might have given Jesus this stunning gift of extravagance as a thank you or as a prophetic witness to what would soon be. We'll never truly know Mary's intentions, but what we do know is that her gift would make a holy difference to Jesus. Her gift showed faith, gratitude, and abundant generosity. And Jesus, of course, recognized the power of love that Mary had for him. And as the threat of death lingered over him, the reminder of that powerful love, that mattered. The risk that Mary took was her way of stepping out in faith. Her sister most likely would have advised her against it, reminding her that it was extremely taboo to risk walking into a room of male disciples when she should have been in the kitchen helping Martha prepare and serve the meal. The risk of letting her hair down, something an honorable woman never did in the company of others. The risk of completely emptying out the most vulnerable things she owned, knowing she would most likely never, ever have anything like it again. The risk of drying Jesus' feet with her hair, the act that no single woman would ever do, not even with friends. And yet Mary did all of those things in part because she knew it would make a holy difference in Jesus as well as in her. That's exactly what generosity born from gratitude does, because it makes a holy difference. Giving is an act of worship and thanksgiving for who God is, as well as the act to help us remember that all of what we have and all of who we are belongs to God. Confirmands. Today, you publicly proclaim your faith and became official members of Selwyn Avenue Presbyterian Church. Your membership here matters. This community needs you. I encourage you to stay true to your hearts and to your eyes. 
to keep aware, to remind this church of who we need to serve, to share with the church your gifts and your talents and your time, to pray without ceasing, to speak boldly, and more than anything, to know that like Mary, your actions make a holy difference in this place and in the world. We all must let go of what holds us back from giving our all. We must let God's love wash over us and carry us to something new. May we all seek discipleship and prepare ourselves for the all-consuming fragrance that comes when we live with a faith that's extravagant, worshiping a God whose grace and love is indeed always more than we could ever dream. Let us learn from the disciple Mary. May it be so in this place. Amen. I invite you to join me in prayer. God, our provider, out of your fullness, you cause life to spring up in barren landscapes. You have power to control troubled waters, making a path of safety. You hear our cries and receive our tears. You restore us to joy and laughter. You have done great things for us, O oh God and are continually making all things new. We thank you, God. We thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus Christ, whose life and ministry has guided us and continues to guide us in every season of life. In his suffering and death, he knows full well the troubles and pains we face in this earthly life. And his resurrection is the hope of our own. With thanksgiving, we celebrate your care and the gift of newness in our lives. For recovery from illness or injury, for calm after a time of unrest or turmoil, for a sense of direction after uncertainty, for new life, for new opportunities, we thank you, O oh God. You are making all things new. We pray for people who wait in difficult places, for those who are suffering and those at life's end, for people struggling with employment and financial worries, for those estranged from loved ones, for those trapped in the grip of addiction, and for people enduring emotional or spiritual turmoil. We pray for the needs of our community and of the world. We lift to you our friends at Montclair Elementary School and those who are served regularly by Roof Above and Habitat for Humanity. We ask that peace invade places of war, especially for our siblings in the Ukraine and the neighbors nearby who take them in. May justice crowd out oppression and cruelty, protect soldiers and citizens alike from harm's way and make all conflict cease. Bless the leaders of communities and states and nations. Inspire them that they may speak truth and work with others for the common good. And pour out healing on the earth itself. Amid the chaos of this world, your spirit intercedes with sighs too deep for words. We pray for the church, the body of Christ in the world, that we may share your love Lead us by the power of your spirit to witness to your truth. For we remember and proclaim that death does not have the last word. 
in our lives, in the church, or in the world. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus Christ, the anointed, the crucified, and the risen, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Friends, Mary did not give of her leftovers in Jesus' last days. She gave out of her abundance. God calls each of us to do the same, to give of our time and of our talents and of our energies in abundance. Let us give.
let us dedicate our lives and gifts to God using the prayer in our bulletin. Abundant God, you cause water to flow in desert places. You give wine to flow at a wedding feast and food to feed 5,000 on a grassy mountainside. Your generosity astounds and humbles us. We bow before you in gratitude and awe, asking you to receive what we have brought in response. May these gifts be a pleasing and fragrant offering for the sake of the world you came to save. We pray in your holy name, amen. Friends, go forth into the world and give extravagantly. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, now and forevermore. Amen.